Good morning, my name is Dwayne. Welcome to Directional Bible Ministries, a ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. Today is July the 31st. July is gone. <laughs> August the 1st is coming. Wow. Um, today we're going to be in Acts chapter number 14. So Acts chapter number 14, and we are going to... We got through down through verse number 5 yesterday. Uh... Uh, let's just for context, uh, look at Acts chapter 14, verse number 1, uh, just for a little context here. And it came to pass in Iconium <clears throat> that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews. And we talked about that. And so spake that a great multitude, both of Jews and also of Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Long time, therefore, they abode they, speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace, and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, and part held with the Jews, that's the unbelieving Jews that was contradicting and blaspheming, and part with the apostles. And when there was an assault made, both of the Gentiles and of the Jews with their rulers, to use them despitefully and to stone them, they were aware of it, and fled into Lystra and Derby, cities of Laconia, into the region that lieth round about, and they preached the gospel. So, here in verses 5 and 7, we find them on the run again. Notice the word assault there in that verse, the word assault. Um, the word is, is interesting because when we think of the word assault, we think, well, that means they physically assaulted them. Uh, but the word um, literally means uh, a violent impulse, an affinity, an onset. In other words, um, they were thinking about it. They were inclined to do so. Um, and... Of course, um, Paul obviously, or somebody, realized that's what was happening. And when there was an assault, um, both the Gentiles and the Jews with the rulers used them and spitefully stoned them, they were aware of it. In other words, they knew it was coming. And, and of course, I, I guess they were pretty well uh, experts at realizing when they were getting ready to be attacked by by this time because it had already happened so so many times previously they knew it was coming and they were aware of it and fled into Lystra Derby in the cities of Laconia um, interestingly um, a couple other things about this verse Timothy when you read about young Demotheus he was from here uh, in Acts uh, let's see in Acts 16. Verse number one, then came he to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewish and bleed, but his father was a Greek. So Timothy was from this area. So was Timothy converted on this trip? Possibly so. Um, but Lystra, uh, you know, just suffice it to say, Timothy was from Derby, Lystra. And uh, and that's apparently where Paul met him. Uh, also, 
the end of verse number seven, and there they preached the gospel. That's interesting um, because literally it means, and there they evangelized. They evangelized. Um, I think one of the reasons we struggle so much with realizing that there were two gospels is our English translation. Um, it just, the gospel, the apostles preached the gospel, the good news, you know, that's the way I learned it. The good news club in church as a kid, you know, um, and then we get over into Acts and Paul is preaching the gospel, you know, and we just assume that it's the same gospel. Um, but the word literally means that, or at least here, it means that they evangelized. In other words, they were spreading the gospel of grace. Um, now notice in verse number eight, um, in verse number eight, and there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb who never had walked. And the same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and he walked. Now you remember back in verse number three, we were told that they were granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Uh, so Paul and Barnabas, and bear in mind, um, you know, that they are still, um, I obviously, just as the 12 were granted signs and wonders as confirmation of their message, uh, the same thing was happening here with Paul and, and Barnabas. Uh, interestingly, <clears throat> it says that Paul perceived that he had the faith to be healed. Um, that stood out to me. Uh, how he did this, we don't know. You know, how did Paul perceive that he had the faith to be healed? Um, I would assume that it was simply based on Paul's experience. Just like Paul was, uh, you know, when we talked about, and they were aware of it. They knew that an assault was getting ready to come. So, too, he was able to look at this man and perceive that he had the faith to be healed. I mean, both of those speaks to experience. Just experientially, he knew that this man had the faith to be healed. Um, how he did this again, we don't know, but it does say that he steadfastly beheld him. You know, maybe it just means that Paul saw something in him as a result of his response to the other miracles that he had most likely witnessed. So this guy probably, you know, back in verse number three, you know, the uh, the signs and the wonders were being done by their hands. And Paul looks at this guy steadfastly, which means he he stared at him a little bit. He thought about him a little bit. Uh, and he perceived as a result of that that this man had the faith to be healed. Now, um, it's hard to read something into the text. It simply is not there. But I started looking at this phrase the other day. It's often used in the Gospels. You know, in Matthew 9, 21 through 22, 
for she said within herself, If I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. But Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Um, so, you know, he, he Jesus looked and said, Your faith is what made you whole. Uh, very similar to what Paul said here, perceiving that he had the faith to be healed. Uh, in Matthew nine twenty eight, and when he had come into the house, the blind man came to him, and Jesus said, Believe ye that I am able to do this? And they said unto him, Yea, Lord. And then touched he their eyes and said, According to your faith, be it unto you. And then, I mean, it's all throughout the Gospels. Uh, and he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. In Luke chapter 7, verse number 50. Um, Luke 17, verse number 19. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Uh, and finally, Luke 18, 42, Jesus said, Receive thy sight. Thy faith hath saved thee. So obviously, something significant there in regards to faith, this faith that Paul saw in this cripple. Um, I looked at uh, Albert Barnes in regards to 921 in, in, in Matthew, uh, where Jesus turned and said, Daughter, be of, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Uh, Albert Barnes said, Her faith... Her strong confidence in Jesus had been the means of her restoration. It was the power of Jesus that cured her, yes, but that power would not have been exerted but in connection with her faith. So in salvation, this is where he got me, so in the salvation of a sinner, no one is saved who does not believe. And of course, believing, faith, almost synonymous. Faith is the instrument and not the power that saves. So faith is the instrument. Faith or that belief is the instrument that saves. Um, so faith is the instrument, not the power that saves. It is when we believe that God saves us. It's God that has the power to save, but it's our faith that are that is the instrument of salvation. And if you walk that through, you know, Romans 10, 9, and 10. Um, um, let's see, let's look at that real quick. Romans 10, 9, and 10, where he says, uh, that if thou shalt confess in thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So the belief is the instrument of salvation. And until we believe that salvation is not going to be forced on us. So, you know, that makes sense to me. So, uh, again, I just didn't want to just read over that. But uh, I like the way Albert Barnes said that the faith our faith is the instrument it's not the power but it's the instrument that brings about the power um and now notice in verse uh number number 11 and when the people saw that paul 
or what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Laconia, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercury or Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. Now, this is where I started getting into my history here. Uh, their response is no doubt in full knowledge of the writings of Publius Ovidius Nasum. He was called Ovid. He was a Roman poet who, was, who lived during the reign of Augustus, obviously a contemporary of Virgil and Horace. And no doubt the people knew this, this myth, um, the writings of Ovid. Um, he wrote the story of Philemon and Bacchus, and they were an elderly couple who unwittingly entertained the Greek gods, Jupiter and his son Mercury. Uh, so this is the story. Uh, Jupiter and Mercurius, Mercurius or Mercury came down to a town, and the only two people in the town that showed them hospitality was uh, Philemon and Bacchus. And as a way of rewarding them, they granted them a wish of anything that they wanted and spared them the devastation of the village that they destroyed for a lack of hospitality. Um, my mind kind of goes back to Sodom and Gomorrah, does it not, when the two angels uh, came down? And uh, I can't tell you how many people in the uh, gay community have said that uh, God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah not for homosexuality, but because they were inhospitable. Um, kind of makes you wonder if the two stories are, you know, if Ovid pulled a little bit from that. So uh, I'm not sure. But in in Rome, uh, Jupiter is known as Zeus and Mercury is known as Hermes. So you could see here that, so when the people saw what Paul had done, that he had performed this miracle on this man, that you know, just their worldview uh, would draw them to this story of Philemon and Bacchus, Jupiter and Mercury, um, which led them to conclude that, you know, you guys are gods. Uh, you've come down and you're doing the exact same thing as they did to Philemon and Bacchus. But what I draw from this you know, just a lesson for us today, uh, is that we all respond according to our own worldview. The way we are taught to see the world is the way we respond. A secular man responds in a secular way. Uh, he sees a miracle and he goes to his worldview to rationalize, justify that miracle. A spiritual man, same thing. Um, a worldview can be defined as a collection of beliefs about life and the universe held by an individual or group. These people obviously had a worldview that included Greek mythology. So when they saw this, 
their minds immediately jumped to the Greek gods of Zeus and Hermes, or to Jupiter and Mercury, which they knew as Zeus and Hermes, um, because that's the way that they were raised. Um, and it's true. That's why it's vitally important when I taught students, your worldview determines the response to everything that you see. You, you will see God or you'll see something else. Um, you will see creation through a theistic lens or you'll see it through a humanistic lens. And I believe that, you know, the problems we're struggling with in our world today is we simply have not given our children a biblical worldview. Uh, and because of that, they are leaning toward this Marxist, communistic um, worldview, um, this social justice, uh, which is Marxism, um, that's why it's crept its, uh, its way into the church. I'm, I'm shocked at how the Southern Baptist Convention have, has bitten this off, hook, line, and sinker, starting with their president down. Um, why? I mean, it, this wasn't just a, a switch that was flipped overnight. You know, one morning they all woke up and said, uh, you know, that we're going to go this way. no. It was something that gradually happened as they began to allow their children to grow up without a proper biblical worldview. And now they're responding in the way they're responding. So worldview is important, is all I'm trying to say. Very important. Um, and we'll look, we'll look at this and then we'll close for today. Um, then the priest of Jupiter... Um, obviously there were priests there, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, and again, we talked about how these guys are called apostles, uh, just like the 12, uh, Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people crying out. So, Again, back to the apostles, apostle is one who is sent. You know, just as the 12 was sent to the nation of Israel, now Paul and Barnabas are being sent to the Gentiles. And they cried out, saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you, and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that are therein who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Now, again, as I read this, this is another proof. They're not speaking to Jews, okay, because the Jewish worldview would not have jumped to Jupiter and Mercury. <laughs> they are speaking to Gentiles here, okay, who had this worldview, Um you know, when the Jews saw miracles, as a matter of fact, signs and wonders automatically pointed them to God. Well, same thing with the Gentiles, but not Jehovah God. It pointed them to their gods, which they had pulled out of Greek mythology. Uh, it's like we all have this default that is based on how we see the world. So when I look at someone doing something, 
I have a worldview. I project myself onto that person. While I can look at that and soon this person is doing it for this motivation, you can look at that and say, no, they're doing it for this motivation. We project our worldview on what we see, you know. Um, and of course, Paul begins to encourage them to turn from these vain, these vain beliefs to the true and the living God. And we'll talk about that next time. The whole worldview thing, I could, I could really get caught up in that. Um, we do project our worldview on what we see. Um, you know, I can look at something happening and say, oh, you know, this is why that's happening. And you can look at the same thing. Oh, no, this is why that's happening. Again, what are we doing? We're projecting our worldview. And that's why I think it's so important, you know, the, the, to be in the Word of God, to develop our own. We miss what God is doing uh, when we don't stay in the Word of God. When we don't stay close to Him, we miss it. Um, again, I could, I could develop a whole thing on that, but I think you know where I'm going there. Um, but obviously Paul is going to turn this back and say, listen, you need to flee from these vain beliefs to the true and the living God. You remember he did that on Mars Hill, very similar. So, um, but anyway, tomorrow or next time we get together, of course, next time we get together, will be Sunday morning at nine o'clock and we're going to go back and we're going to cover, uh, everything we've studied Monday through Friday. But next Monday when we get together, we'll talk about nevertheless. Uh, I really uh, was able to get off in this area uh, because I want to talk about Revelation. And we'll do that then. Anyway, guys, God bless you. Good to see you this morning, Scott, Otis. Uh, God bless you, brothers. I hope you have a great Friday and a great weekend. Uh, Scott said, the grace that saves us also keeps us and is always received by faith. Amen. I like the way Albert Barnes broke that down. Uh, faith is the tool, uh, but it's not the power. Uh, I like the way Albert Barnes broke that down. The uh, e-sword that I use actually has in the commentaries Albert Barnes and free. Uh, I really, really like Albert Barnes. Um, he's really my number one commentator uh, that I really... I I was telling somebody the other day that uh, everybody... Um, everybody that I... Well, a lot of my theology is based on people that are dead. <laughs> uh, I love to read the old commentators. Uh, I love to read the old Bible teachers, you know, so, uh, but anyway, God bless you guys. Y'all have a great day. Remember, God loves you, wants the best for you. He's working all things out for your good.